0: Here I'd like you to take your Bibles and uh, let's turn to a familiar uh, text in Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to, again, just look at part of what this text is speaking on as we consider some thoughts on Christmas. And again, we talk about Christmas and there's a lot of thoughts about Christmas. And for some, Christmas centers around, uh, again, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but around Santa Claus. And so I want to give you a message, hopefully be helped to you, and also be, again, uh, uh, give you some thoughts here this morning on uh, the mighty God of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, verse number 6 and verse number 7. says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful consular, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want to speak on, again, there's a number of names given there in verse number six, but I want to speak this morning on the mighty God. Let's go ahead and pray as we consider this thought on the mighty God. Father, thank you again for this name, this name above all names that at every knee people will bow one day and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And as we consider the mighty God of Christmas, I pray that we could uh, just see a little bit about his might. Again, as we speak about it here today, I pray you to just help me again to convey the truth about you and about the Son. Help us again by your grace to understand that Jesus is that mighty God. We pray this in Jesus' name and for sake. Amen. I know some don't believe that Jesus is the mighty God. So then again, if you were... Part of an establishment called the Jehovah Witnesses, you would not believe that he is indeed the mighty God. But I can tell you today that there are many passages that point to the mighty God and that also show Jesus to be the mighty God. You know, I I think about the message here today and I could make this message quite a bit more extensive. In fact, I've thought about maybe looking at this over a two week period of time and I may I'm not sure right now, but most people don't see Jesus as God. They don't understand that he is indeed God, but they don't also understand that he is indeed the mighty God. He proved it in his miracles. He proved it in his ministry. He proved it in creation. And you see throughout the scripture that indeed you and I should believe in the mighty God. We're familiar with this text here in Isaiah chapter 9, and verse number 6, about a son being given. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the garment shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Many religionists, agnostics, atheists, suggest that Jesus is just a man that lived upon this earth. But by the record of the scripture, he is way more than a man by what he did. People cannot even do today the things that he did. You know, I was watching a video here, and you can do this now. I mean, you don't have to go and see it in person, but you can watch a video, and this is very recently, of a miracle worker, so to speak. And again, it was this miracle worker, and this miracle worker was doing something. and He said, what were you doing? I was just looking at something. You know, every once in a while I just look at something and I see something and it's interesting again and, and maybe I watch it and I just, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I seen this, uh, I would just call him what he is, a religious imposter. Uh, again, going along and saying, and showing how he was casting out demons out of these two people. And again, it was it was grotesque as far as I was concerned. It was. I mean, this lady came forward and and she, she needed, again, to be cured, so to speak, of her immorality. She'd been very immoral, and so she believed she was full of demons, right? And so this guy lays hands on her, and she she goes down to the ground, and I'm not going to describe exactly what happened, but she goes down to the ground. After that, supposedly, the demon's gone. Another man comes forward, similar thing. Again, he's, he's demon-possessed, too, and it was grotesque. Why I say it was grotesque? Because he began to vomit on the ground. And through that vomit, supposedly the demon was coming out. And I say about these imposters, they're just imposters. They're, they're devilish in what they do. And, and sadly, I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, how they make a mockery of what Jesus was able to do. You know, if you were full of a devil, he would cast that devil out, there would be no none of this, well, you need to pray now that the Holy Spirit might take control you and the demon come out. No, Jesus said demon come out and the demon came out. See, that's the might of his power. These people are imposters. You know, for a third case, the demon didn't get worked out because of the lack of faith in that person. I thought to myself, this is false. This is fake. This is trickery. You see, and again, I I looked at again the picture there and I seen a great congregation in front of them. I thought to myself, all these people are caught up in a religion that teaches a different kind of Jesus, a different kind of miracle worker, a different kind of Bible and scripture. And again, to me, it was utter confusion. I thought to myself, if they only knew about the mighty God, mighty to save, mighty to deliver, mighty to change lives, they would see a Jesus of the Bible. Again, I kind of maybe get off a little bit, but I think about people as religionists, they just think that Jesus is just, you know, maybe kind of like them. Kind of like them. You know, this guy laying his hands on him, I thought to myself, he thinks he's like Jesus because he's laying hands on this person. Thinks he's like Jesus by laying his hands on this person. He thinks he's like Jesus because he thinks he can somehow cast this devil through her belief and and maybe her desire to have this devil come out and all these kind of things. So I thought to myself, these people in the Bible that had the demon cast out, the demon was cast out by the miraculous power of God. There was no need for belief. There was no need for anything. There was just need for someone to be demon possessed and for a God to cast out the devil that was possessing them, or the demons that were possessing them. The might of God is great. And even as I... Uh, think about my futile attempt this morning to uh, try to convey the might of God, I will come nowhere near the might of God and his great power as I talk to you about this subject. You know, Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 says, a child would be born, a son would be given that would be called the mighty God. The mighty God. It's amazing to think about that. A mighty God born as a child. How can that be? Well, God made it to happen. Well, let's look at a little history on this mighty God. Who is this mighty God? Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 49. Who is this mighty God of the Bible? He's the mighty God of Jacob and Joseph. The mighty God of Jacob and Joseph Uh, We find, again, the Bible talk about this mighty God back in Genesis chapter 49. And I just want to pick up here, read a few verses here. Genesis 49, verse number 22 uh, through verse number 24. It says, And Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well, whose branches run over the well. The archers have sorely grieved him and, and shot him and hated him. But his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From, hence, from thence is the shepherd and the stone of Israel. It goes on. Let's read verse number 25. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty who shall bless thee with the blessings of heaven above, the blessings of the deep that lieth under, the blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of thy father that prevailed above the blessedness of thy prodigers, unto the utmost bounty of the everlasting hills? They shall be on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the head of him that separate from his brethren. It talks in this passage of the Lord thy God. It says that in verse number 21. It mentions the mighty God, verse number 24. And verse number 25, the Almighty. We're talking about this guy here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. We're talking about the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph. When those wise men came to see Jesus, they beheld God in the flesh. They saw Jesus, but they also seen God in the flesh. The mighty God of Jacob and Joseph, the God of the patriarchs, is a God that would come one day to this earth to be a savior for us. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. As we think about who is the mighty God, we see again his name given to us in the Old Testament and the God of Joseph, the, the blesser of Joseph, is indeed that mighty God. Deuteronomy here, chapter uh, 7, just a few books forward here. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 21 and uh, 22, also mention this mighty God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 21, the Bible says, Thou shalt not be after affrighted uh, of them. The the Lord God, thy God, is among a mighty God and terrible. And The Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed." Bible mentions the mighty God here and the mighty God able to destroy the heathen by his might, by his power, able to destroy those who oppose him. Again, people don't like to think about the mighty God in those terms, but he has the might and power to destroy both body and soul in hell. People don't think about that, but that's part of his might. We see here him called the Lord thy God, the mighty God. He is Jehovah God, the self-existent God. By his power exists. By his power he created. By his power he sustains. He is indeed the mighty God. Moses talked about his great power and might. And we see Jacob speak of the mighty God. Of Jacob. Let's turn the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. It's hard to, to believe that someone could be God wrapped up in flesh. Now that in the New Testament is called a mystery. It's hard to understand how the creator of the universe could come live in flesh. I don't understand that. We have to see that God indeed humbled himself Uh, came into the world uh, to be a special person, a special person who would be able to save us from our sins. The God of this universe came here. Psalm chapter 50, let's go ahead and read a little bit here. Psalm chapter 50, verse number 1 through 3, it says, The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be a very tempestuous about him. Let me read on a little bit. He shall call to the heavens from above, to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto thee, those that made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself, say lot. Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. The Bible speaks about the mighty God, verse number one. Speaks of my God and thy God. Here in this passage of scriptures. Our God, thy God, is the mighty God. He is the powerful God. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 132. Again, I'm just looking at some passages that describe the mighty God and his power upon the earth. Now we're going to look at some things that the Lord is able to do, and there are things that the Lord is unable to do. He is unable to do. There are things that he isn't he is not able to do. And someone says, Well, what are those things? Well, we'll talk about them in just a moment. One thir- Psalm 132 Verse number 2 through verse number 5, Surely I will come into thy tabernacle of my house, nor go up to thy bed. I will not sleep in, uh, to my eyes, nor slumber at my eyelids, until I find out the place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. They were searching for the mighty God of Jacob. He speaks about him in verse number six. He says, for lo, uh, sorry, verse number uh, six, verse number five, it says, until I find a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. David's seen the mighty God is the God of Jacob. David swear by this mighty God. He believed in this mighty God. He lived to please the mighty God. We see again in Isaiah, it talks about the mighty God come to this earth as a son given. Many other scriptures point to this mighty God, but let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 32. The mighty God, it, this term is used some, nearly a dozen times there in the Old Testament. And again, uh, by comparing scripture with scripture, Again, you'd, you'd probably figure out that that mighty God, if you just use those passages, and again, uh, again, someone could just do that by again using some computer program or whatever it might be, you would come to the conclusion that Jesus is indeed God. But I want you to see him also here in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse number 18, as the mighty God of hosts. Verse 18 Jeremiah 32, verse number 18. Thou showest love and kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. And there are other passages, Psalm 24, verse number 10, and Zechariah chapter 14 that talk about the mighty God. Habakkuk chapter 1, Verse number 12, these all talk about the mighty God. But it mentions him as the Lord of hosts. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord of hosts. Now, there are different ideas on this word host. And again, I'm going to just probably stick with what I tend to believe this host would entail. But it mentions here in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse number 1, after the creation, it mentions these hosts here. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. All the hosts of them. Now, host means many in a general sense. And uh, again, we see again the word host used in a number of passages of scriptures. But again, we find the word host used and it connected with the mighty God. The mighty God is the God of dominion or forces or armies. The hosts of heaven. Again, we think a lot of times of the angelic hosts of heaven. The armies of heaven are at God's disposal. He's also the one that created all things. It says, thus the heaven and the earth and all the hosts of them. Some people believe that everything he created is part of the host, so to speak. And certainly that may well be true. I don't know for sure. But he is indeed, the Bible says, the king over all the earth. Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 9. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. So we think about the mighty God. His name is the mighty God. He is Jehovah. He's the God of Joseph and Jacob and Moses and Asaph and David and all these men that wrote about him. Jeremiah wrote about him and Isaiah wrote about him. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Consul, of the Mighty God. You know, there's something about God that makes him mighty that also seems to limit his power. But his power is perfect in limitations. The things that God can do, the things that God cannot do. Let's turn to the book of Job. What are some things that God cannot do? Let me just mention two, two things that limit his power. Let's turn to the book of Job. The first thing that limits God's power, and again, I'm not saying this is good power, but this is power nonetheless, is he cannot sin. He cannot sin. Now, that limits his power, but his power is towards right and righteousness. It's, the, it's towards that which is good, and it cannot be that which is evil. And so Job chapter 34 In verse number 10 and verse number 12, it mentions, Therefore hearken unto me, ye uh, men of understanding, far be it from God, that he should do wickedness, and for the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Verse number 12, Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. There's nothing that God does that's wrong. He's limited, so to speak, that he cannot sin. He will not do wickedly. He will not do that which is wrong. And so we see his limitations mentioned here in Job 34. Well, let's turn over to Titus in, in the New Testament. Titus in the New Testament, the things that we can count on with God. He will not do wickedly. He will not do that which is wrong. He will always do that which is right. He always do that which is perfect and that which is good. Again, some might accuse him of doing that which is wrong and that which is wicked and that which is not right. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard people say, well, why didn't God intervene here? Or why didn't God do this? Or why didn't God help here? Or whatever it might be. Understand this, God will not do wickedly. He will not do that which is wrong. He will always do that which is right. Titus chapter one, verse number two, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The limitations of God's might cannot sin and cannot lie. There are probably some other limitations to his might, but they all center around his character, things he cannot do. You know, some would say it's the limitations of his character. Well, let me just say this. If the Bible says he'll, he'll save you, then he can't turn around and decide, you know, I'm just not going to save this person. His perfect character shows his perfect mind, and his perfect power. And so I want to consider some thoughts on his power, first of all. How powerful was the Christ that was born in Bethlehem? Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Familiar text, Colossians, Hebrews, chapter 1. And... Uh, Seven other places in the Bible show us how mighty this powerful Jesus Christ indeed is and was. We see here in Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse number uh, 16 and verse number 17 that he is the one behind the creation of this universe. We see this in verse 16 and 17. It says, For by him, were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Let me read on there, verse number 18 and 19. It says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have their preeminence, for it pleased the Father, that in him... Should all fullness dwell. I don't totally understand again verse number 19. But the Bible says, In him shall all fullness dwell. When you see again Jesus, you've seen the creator of this universe. I never got to see him. Peter and those disciples got to see him. Many of the Jews got to see him during that first century when he was manifested in the flesh. But we see his power. It begins here with the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of the universe. He has created a wonderful and intricate and meticulous and purposeful universe. He's put in every being certain attributes and powers within them, powers that we are beginning to some degree understand. I thought it interesting back in 2007. They were able to, in Tokyo, go in and tinker with the DNA of a mice or a mouse. And by doing so, that mouse would actually approach a cat. You know, they used to think, again, these things were learned or behavior given. But somehow in the DNA of a mouse, there is a natural fear for a cat. Or at least it seems to be because they were able to genetically modify a mouse so that it would approach a cat and cuddle with a cat. Someone says, well, that's strange. That's people manipulating things that God created. Yes, they can do that. They do a lot of things, again, now today with genetics. They can change the makeup of people by genetically modifying them even while they're in the womb. Again, they don't always succeed in what they do, but they can manipulate Man can manipulate. I call that tinkering. They can tinker with God's creation, but you know, God in the flesh is way more powerful than the average tinkerer. You know, a person has to go around and figure out how God made it, so to speak, and then tinker with it, right? Mess with it, play with it, cut things out, change things, modify, uh, all those kind of things. But they can't change the makeup instantaneously like God can Let's turn to Psalm chapter 33. You know, when God created this universe and the things in this universe and all the hosts of them, when he created all these things by the word of his power, he did it by just a simple word and it was done. Now there's nobody that I know that even comes close to be able to speak something and it's just plainly done. But I do know one that came to this world and he spake and it was done. Let's read about the God, Jehovah, the Lord. Psalm 33, let's look at verse number 6 to verse number 9. It says here, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he layeth up the depths of the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in on him, he spake and it was done he commanded and it stood fast now someone says that's cool that's neat that's interesting god just said it and it was done that's that is interesting that is neat but you know the first miracle that jesus did showed him to be the mighty god let's turn to john chapter 2 what was that first miracle i'm i'm sure just about everybody here this morning again is familiar At least those listening right now are familiar with the Bible to some degree. And if you had in a trivia question, what was the first miracle that Jesus did? Could you answer that question? That question shows us that Jesus indeed was the mighty God. Let's read in John chapter 2. What did he do? What did he do when he came into this world? What was his first miracle that showed him to be the mighty God? John chapter 2, verse number 4, it says... Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what hast thou to do with them? My hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto his servants, Whatsoever he saith unto him, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto him, fill the water uh, the water pots, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto him, them, uh, draw now and bear on to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. It goes on from there. The water that was made wine. Is there anybody who could just, by their thought process, by their power, change water into wine or some liquid into another liquid state? No one can. If I had poison in a vessel, could someone purify that? No, maybe they maybe could if they found the right elements to mess with it or whatever, they could neutralize it or whatever. Right? But changing elements to other elements, this first miracle showed Jesus to be God in the flesh. Water into wine. The creator of the universe came to this earth and turned water into wine. Now that's power. That's mighty power. To change something from one particular form into another form, not by tinkering, so to speak, but simply doing so by his power. Do I understand how he did it? Do I Understand how, you know, how it all came to be? I don't, but I understand the Bible that it happened. And I see by the word of God and the faith of the scriptures that it is indeed true. The power over creation is the power of God over creation. Let's turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, who has power over creation? Is it Mother Nature? Mother Nature must be upset with us. You know, you get these crazy thought processes out there. People talk about, Mother Nature's upset with us, or whatever it might be. Who rules over the universe? Who rules over the weather? Who rules over creation? The answer is given here in Psalm 89, here, verse number 9 through 12. It says, Thou rulest the raging sea, when the rulers thereof arise and stillest. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces. As one that is slain, thou hast scattered thy enemies with a strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth is thine. As for the world, in the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Heber uh, shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, high is thy right hand. goes on and says a number of different things. You could read on sometime here, but it says, Thou rulest the raging sea. Who rules the raging sea? Verse number seven, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. God does. God rules the raging sea. let turn to Mark chapter nine. Who ruled the raging sea there in Mark chapter four? Now someone says, I don't know. Jesus just, you know, he did some things. He was kind of special. He died maybe as a martyr, or whatever. People think different things about Jesus, but... He proved himself to be God, the mighty God in the flesh, by many of the miracles and by the power he was able to express. Mark chapter 4, verse number 39. Mark 4, verse number 39, it says, He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the, the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great psalm. And he said unto them, Why are those so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. What manner of man, this is the man from Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. That's power of the sea. To rule the sea, to calm the sea, to change elements, if it be in his, his power. To deal with nature in special ways. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. You might be able to do a few things and man can maybe tinker with some things and change some things, but there's no one like God in his power. He is powerful in his creation. He's powerful and is able to sustain the universe and even manipulate his universe. Matthew 21 and verse number 18 through verse number 20. Matthew 21, verse number 18 through verse number 20. It says now in the morning as he returned into the city he was hungered. So Jesus was hungry in the flesh. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, came to it and, and found nothing thereupon, but leaves only, he said, Let no fruit grow on be henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered them, To Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto the mountain, be ye removed and be cast in the sea, it shall be done of you. And all these things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now we see his power here again. a power of the sea and a power of the fig tree. Just By thinking, this fig tree began to wither away. Let no fruit grow on henceforth, and the fig tree withered away. You know, you think about his power. It's hard for us to understand how powerful he was. But through his mighty miracles, they showed him to be the God of glory. Let's turn to... John chapter 2, the God of glory, the God of heaven, the God of this universe, the almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. John chapter 2, verse number 9 through verse number 11 says, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but that the servants which drew the water, or the governor of the feast, called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth the good wine. When is well drunk, then they bring the worst, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of the miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee manifest forth his glory. And disciples believed on him. He manifested his glory through this first miracle. Again, the miracles of Jesus showed the glory and power of the mighty God. Miracle after miracle, And there are several miracles that we can consider. But miracle after miracle, healing paralyzed people, raising people from the dead, feeding five thousand their families with a few loaves and a few fishes, walking on the sea. Can anyone do that? No. Feeding four thousand their families, healing blind people, healing lepers. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Restoring a severed off ear. Can anybody do that? Can anybody normally do that? Absolutely not. But the mighty God, Jesus did. And so we see the mighty, might of his power. You see, let's turn over there. We're already close. John chapter 18, verse number six. The might of his power. Again, you know, when you think about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the power of Jesus Christ. You think of what he could have done on this earth. Incredible things he could have possibly done different on this earth. Now, I'm not saying he should have done anything different. I don't believe he should have done he did everything perfectly. But the ability for him to do things on this earth are incredible. Look at John chapter 18, verse number 6, just another verse on his power. It says, And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Said some words and people fell backward to the ground. That's not normal. That's not, again, just natural powers that maybe someone does. Someone says, Well, if someone could just conjure up their powers, so to speak, maybe they could do that. No. There's no one that could do that except for Jesus, except for God. He spoke, and things got done. He spoke, and the universe was created. He spoke again here, and again, Lazarus came forth out of the dead. But I want to mention here, finally, the might of his power. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 63. What is the might of his power? The might of his power is the might to save. And this is again something special about the Lord Jesus. He came into this world to save sinners of whom Paul said he was chief. He revealed himself to be the power God through his miracles and through his might. Isaiah chapter 63, verse number 1, it says, Who, the, who is this that cometh from Eden with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak is in righteousness mighty to save. Let me read on. You'll reveal who this is. Therefore art thou red in thy apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat. I have tried in the winepress alone of the people. There is none with me, for I tread them in my anger and trample upon them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon their garments, and I will stain their garments, for the day of vengeance in my heart, and the and the year of the Redeemer is come. Let me skip to verse number seven. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the good the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them, according to his mercy, according to the multitudes of his mighty, uh, his, his loving kindness. Verse 8, it says, For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. So the Savior is going to come back, and he's going to destroy some things. Again, it's mentioned there in Isaiah chapter 63, and he's going to go to Edom and Bazarah, and by his mighty power, he's going to destroy some things. But the Bible mentions he is mighty to save. He came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul said he was chief. Who is able to save any soul? Jesus is. He saved Nicodemus. He saved the Samaritan. He saved Martha. He saved Barmaeus. On and on it goes. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. The Bible speaks of, uh, again, the, the mighty power of God. And uh, his mighty power will be revealed from heaven one day when he will return. And I'm certainly looking forward to that day when he returns. Again, the more I hear about what's going on and overseas, I wonder if the Lord's going to return. I just wonder sometimes when and at what time the Lord may return. I hear about just a few days ago. I think it was just a day ago, if I remember right. It could be a couple of days ago. I mean, just a major attack on Kiev. Major attack. I don't know if it's been in the regular news, but again, I I just, I say regular because there's lots of news sources out there. But they say half of Kiev is without power right now. Imagine that, a huge city without power right now. And they say possibly because of what happened there that, you know, Ukraine is going to retaliate and hit Crimea. I mean, that's what they're scared for. They're going to retaliate because of the power of missiles, lots of missiles. I think it was 60 or 40 launched at that time. And they're concerned about Putin, what he might do. Putin says he's not. (laughs) He will use nuclear if it's needful for his people. I think about all the prophecy in the Bible and how Russia one day is going to come down on Israel. And I think about, we could be near the end times, but I know this. There's someone able to save, and that's Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 25, it's, wherefore, he's able also to save to the uttermost them that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The mighty God is able to save. He's able to save people right at the brink of death. We see that in Luke chapter 23, verse number 42. The dying thief, just about to die, but Jesus able to save him. Let's turn to John chapter 17. Why did Jesus come? I hope you understand he didn't come to just be kind of a fill in and in this time of year you know we traditionally celebrate uh, Christmas and the things that surround Christmas and the wise men and the three shepherds and you know whatever it might be Uh, again I say three shepherds or three wise men or whatever it seems like people sometimes do two one whatever it might be Uh, why 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 did he come here John chapter 17 and verse number one through verse number five I think gives us a pretty good answer these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son that the Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life that they may know thee. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gave us me me to do. And now, O Lord, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that thou hast before the world was. Why did Jesus come here? To give the Father glory. To bring sinners to salvation. Let's turn to John chapter 5. Have you come to salvation... Have you come to the point where you see seen yourself as lost? You see yourself as needing a Savior. You see as Jesus is the only remedy for your sin and your salvation. The only way for forgiveness to be imparted to you. And have you believed on the Son? John chapter 5, verse number 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that which testify of me. You will not come to me that you might have life. Some will not come to him because they don't necessarily want life or they don't want life that way. How do you find life? Well, look at John chapter 6, verse number 28 and 29. It says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son, believe on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Why did the mighty God come that you might have everlasting life? By believing on the Son. Let's close again as we consider some thoughts on the mighty God of Christmas.